Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I think you could be a virtual tourist and experience places like, you know, Chicago or the Bay Area and, of course, now London and the Watchdogs brand. And I think that's something people really appreciate because not everyone can go there. Not everyone has a chance to visit these places. This is Charles Adam Foster Simard from Ubisoft. Working at a video game developer like Ubisoft, where we create games in which people spend dozens, sometimes hundreds of hours in the virtual worlds we create, I've naturally come to ask myself a lot of questions about what it means for people to immerse themselves in virtual worlds. What is so enticing about virtual worlds? As technology keeps developing and these worlds become richer, bigger, more photorealistic, more immersive, As virtual reality or VR becomes more commonplace and the metaverse is the buzzword of the day, what are the values of these virtual worlds and how different are they from the world we live in? Are virtual worlds and IRL in competition against each other or are they complementary? Today on the Ubisoft Game Makers podcast, we're going to explore these questions with three speakers who work on completely different projects. Our first stop in the real world is in Toronto, Canada, to talk with art director Patrick Inglesby. But in the virtual world, we're headed to a dystopian, near-future version of London that was featured in the game Watch Dogs Legion, which came out in 2020. I spoke with Patrick to learn more about the work his team did to create this virtual version of London. London is a melting pot in Western Europe of culture, of world culture and diversity. The more we got familiar with London, the more we realized how important it was as a city that represents people. And um, working with Clint Hawking and witnessing the development of, it's a game about people. It's a game about Mm -hmm. play as anyone. You know, the wonderful breakthrough for us was how liberating this could be for us because as artists and as uh, developers, we can be inspired by a city uh, that's as wholesome as London in terms of just what London represents, you know, as a a Western Europe destination where so many people from around the world have converged in history. So that's an important part of our focus, really, is studying the cultures uh, that exist in the city and finding ways to be inspired by them. London and the boroughs of London are essentially like a giant quilt of culture and diversity. And the one thing that we discovered, and you know, as a test tone in a lot of our early concepts that we did, was realizing that underneath the cultural stamps of these locations visually, you know, London is London. You still have the same bricks, you still have the same cobble streets and pavements and you know architecture. Mm. However, when you go into certain key districts like Camden or Brixton, or even sections of Tower Hamlets where, you know, you have a concentration of occupational types or uh, diverse culture types, you know, um, you see that stamp on the world 
So that excited us as artists and as visual creatives because we realized we can create a world that is about people, but also has these kind of visual stamps on the buildings. Like, for example, street art is a very uh, strong culture in London, and there are there are street art hubs throughout the city. And what's interesting is sometimes, even when you go to places like Brixton, that street art ends up also representing and echoing the people who historically have converged there over time. Like, for example, during the Windrush uh, historical event where a lot of people and folks from the Caribbean came and to live in London, it really had an impact on the environment. So for Patrick and the Watchdogs Legion team, bringing their near-future version of London to life was really about representing the inhabitants of that London and the diversity of its population. And that makes sense. The game's defining gameplay feature is that you can literally play as anyone. Anyone you see in London can become a playable character. So in a way, you could say that this virtual world is made up first and foremost not of the buildings and streets and monuments of the city, but of the characters who inhabit it. But how about delving into a world that's essentially geographical or even topographical in its approach? That's the case with Riders Republic, an extreme sports game in which players can explore a huge open world inspired by seven American national parks on dirt bikes, skis, snowboard, and even a rocket suit. To find out more, I talked with Renaud Persson, who's based at the game's lead studio, Ubisoft Annecy. As world director, and that's surely one of the best job titles we have at Ubisoft, Renault's role was to lead the team that designed and produced the playable surface of the game. His team's challenge was to handcraft a world based on real, natural landscapes. To be honest, that work was uh, really um, a jewelry one because, first of all, we, we started from 22 regions that we selected and we, we had to come down to, to be able to release them. And um, to reproduce them, actually, we, we used uh, realistic uh, altimetric data, which precision are uh, 7 meter by 7 meter by 7 meter. And uh, thanks to that, we reproduced this geology by stitching them, as you said, together, which was not an easy thing because um, actually we had to uh, uh, modify, for instance, their uh, orientation or their uh, uh, altimetry, which is uh, not exactly the same than in reality. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's basically the geography or the geology of these parks or the sections of of the parks that you're choosing are accurate to a seven meter by seven meter pattern on the ground. Yeah, so we are using that uh, accuracy of seven by seven by seven meters to reproduce the world, but actually it's not enough uh, because we don't have all the the precision of the granularity of the terrain. So we, on top of that, we add uh, procedural rules that will uh, alterate and modify the skin of the surface of the playable surface, uh, and we will add, thanks to that, all the bumps, all the uh, irregularities that will uh, give opportunities to the player uh, to play on. When games are based in real places like London or American national parks, it leads to the question of accuracy. How accurate do game creators feel they must be? For Renault working on Writer's Republic, it's about being faithful to the natural environment, the panoramas, the views, the major landmarks of those parks. Yosemite wouldn't be Yosemite without its sequoias, El Capitan, and Half Dome. But the degree of realism, of faithfulness, has to be dictated by the gameplay. 
Sometimes the team needed to tweak a few things to make sure the world they were building was simply fun to write on. We are not making um, a scientific geology exercise. We are making a game. So we inspire ourselves and we take the best from the nature as far as is, it is serving the, the, the game. But when it's not enough, we, we tend to modify and to twist the reality in order to make all the sports and all the behaviors of the player have fun on, on the game. So that's why, for example, I can give you some clues on that. Um, I would take the example of Bryce Canyon, where actually we increased... An, The, the, the altimetry, the amplitude of the altimetry, uh, because the, the real site itself is, of course, amazing, but it's not long enough for us to have um, long runs. So really, we, we take the nature, we are as faithful as we can about the nature, but as soon as it is not enough for the game, we twist it a bit so that all the gameplay can really happen on it. Can you give me other examples of concrete areas or places that exist in real life, but that you had to modify or change in order to make them fun and, and playable for the character? Yeah, so for example, we, um, we worked on Grand Teton, and Grand Teton is a very famous mountain uh, where the, the, the slopes are really uh, dangerous. And actually, we increased just a bit, I think kind of 10% the, the slope, uh, so that our behaviors of riding were really fun in it. Um, it's very important for us that uh, all behaviors are really matching with the surface we are creating. And actually, that was really a, a very... Um, uh, a, a work with a lot of proximity with the uh, the engineers of the behaviors to, to make the, 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 the topology match with the, with the sports we do. Mm -hmm. um, so here it was, for example, um, uh, increasing the slope, but sometimes it's also about the population. I will take the example of the trees, for example. Uh, when speaking about uh, uh, sequoia, we have especially tweaked a bit um, the density of trees so that, first of all, you can fly in between them, but also you can ride in bike uh, or in ski between them. So you could almost say that the world is optimized for the way that the, these sports are, are designed and the physics of the game and vice versa. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Actually, you, you put a, the finger and exactly what is our uh, creed, that world would not exist if it was not been done for that game. And uh, so all what we can do in that game deserve uh, the perfect surface to ride on. And mm -hmm. that's what we tried to do. As for Patrick, working on Watch Dogs Legion... Although the team wanted to create a city that was recognizably London, the game's setting and genre also allowed them to be a little bit more creative. It was definitely a challenge that we had on our side. Where we started in terms of uh, credibility and authenticity really was understanding what's postcard about London. We want to make sure that we respect key landmarks as almost like pushpins. So from a high level... When scoping out and blocking in the city that we, we had to build, you know, we want to make sure we got the sight lines right. So understanding the relative relationship of key landmarks across the, the skyline mm -hmm. was an area of focus. So we, we really tried to use those as the key pushpins to map out our world. But, you know, we, we also realized that, um, you know, we're not going to be able to build the entire city of London you know, uh, exactly the same way it is in real life. So paying attention to those key landmarks was important. Another area that we're able to get uh, very creative with was picking key locations to fictionalize as, say, key headquarters for 
certain characters in our game or in our story where, you know, maybe there's a secret lab or, Mm. you know, that sort of thing. So obviously our game is about science and technologies and, uh, and the impact that could have on humanity. So uh, being able to, I guess, scout, maybe not as familiar buildings to be featuring, you know, really exotic uh, rabbit hole interiors was, was a lot of fun as well. And, very, uh, very liberating. So we're able to flex there for sure. Key to creating the virtual versions of real places is research. At Ubisoft, research, be it on the ground or through books, technology, images, videos, whatever, allows teams to move more freely, to find the little nuggets of inspiration that will make the virtual world shine all that more. Sometimes it's in research, in gathering data and speaking with people on the ground that the strongest point of connection between the virtual world and the real world exists. When we were studying London, the boroughs, the cultures, the people, the kind of visual stamps that that brings to the to the world that we're crafting, ultimately we still have to temper all these ideas and filter them through a lens of the narrative of the game, you know, uh, and and really the lens of the of the brand itself. So. Being that Watchdogs is a game about how humans engage with technologies, either for a greater good or to mitigate abuse, you know, mm-hmm. with technology. One of the processes that we had was something I called DNA, where, you know, if we if we figured out what we understand about a borough, we would work on the digital, the natural, and the architectural aspects of those boroughs and really come to terms with what we want to do and how we want to re-represent those boroughs in a way that really complements the Washog's brand. So as an example, Islington and Hackey, which is just north of uh, the city of London, is known as the Silicon Valley of London. So, you know, naturally we would try to focus in on there's there's new tech companies and uh, upstart companies that are doing great things. Maybe this is something we could lean on on the narrative end. Whereas if you go to Camden Market, you know, there there could be some cyberpunk underground uh, bod, body modification type of uh, mm. cultures there. So understanding those sections and then, again, filtering them again through the DNA process so that we make sure our ideas well aligned to the Watchdogs brand was something that I felt was uh, extremely instrumental in even crafting our missions and crafting out all the team's understanding of how we could uh, leverage these ideas uh, to do them in a way that really champions the Watchdogs uh, canon. I have one more speaker to bring in, and that's someone called Mélanie de Riborol. Mélanie works in the new business team at Ubisoft, creating VR and AR experiences based on Ubisoft games and their worlds. We spoke about a virtual reality experience that her team developed around Notre Dame Cathedral, which was destroyed by fire in April 2019. As soon as the fire occurred, we felt very concerned at Ubisoft. We're a French company, of course. We have several studios in Paris, and our HQ is located here as well. But it's not just that. The 2014 game Assassin's Creed Unity, set in Paris during the French Revolution, used a recreation of Notre Dame as a centerpiece of the map. It's a landmark that you could climb all over in the game, in classic Assassin's Creed fashion. For Melanie and her team, it was clear that they needed to do something about Notre Dame that year. Actually, the idea came right after the fire. Uh, For a while, our team had been uh, trying to 
exploit in VR some of the great monuments that are created in our games. But our tests uh, focused until then on uh, ancient or disappeared monuments, mm. whereas for us, uh, Notre Dame was still accessible and would ever would be there forever. And right after the fire, among all the photographic testimonies that were posted online by people expressing their uh, emotion, many gamers posted some videos from Assassin's Creed Unity. Mm. And so we thought, well, why not make this model available to a wider audience, more casual, not gamer, mm -hmm. and be able to visit it again because we know Now we can do it. We have the technology to do so. Yeah, and we knew the building, of course, you know, was was partially destroyed. We knew it would take a while before people could visit it again. So for the team, this was an opportunity to create something where people could visit that monument. Exactly, with all the emotion of having uh, the cathedral in a lively Parisian environment, mm -hmm. because that's something we can we have in our game. Mm -hmm. And just like with a more traditional video game, the question of realism and faithfulness to reality comes into play. The model of Notre Dame from AC Unity included the cathedral spire and gargoyles, even though these were 19th century additions. The church just didn't look like itself without them. What the new business team focused on was allowing people to visit Notre Dame and experience the building while it was inaccessible, and using a few tricks from video games to make the experience more immersive. We added a few elements, such as the music for the, from the real organ of Notre Dame de Paris, which now times the experience. Uh, we we synchronized the different movement to the, of the, the piece of music that we chose that was recording in Notre Dame six months before the fire. Wow. And you visit 10 different places, some of which were not always uh, accessible at the time uh, before the fire. Uh, for this experience, uh, we knew that people would do it to really experience the cathedral, not a specific uh, time. And, and our goal was not historical, but rather to make them visit Notre Dame again. Mm -hmm. We were lucky that some elements that are still in our century were already in, uh, in that model. That plus the music, plus all the environment that we could take from Assassin's Creed Unity. So you can see Paris and you can see the monuments and we have a hot air balloon trip over the monument to see it. Plus the animation uh, make a very lively uh, experience. And the animations are characters from Assassin's Creed Unity. We didn't try right. to modernize that. So. We have horses uh, and carriages and, and long dresses in front of mm. uh, the door of Notre Dame. And uh, it works great because we showed it to a whole team of people who worked on the um, reconstruction of the real monument mm -hmm. uh, at the Ministry of Culture at the time. So there was the archbishop, there was the architect uh, working on the project, but also uh, the stone carvers and... Uh, 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 the stained glass. Yes, the stained glass specialists, makers. makers mm -hmm. Yeah, and they and they tried it and they loved it. Meneni talks about bringing the spirit of the place to life, and for Renault working on Writers Republic, I think it's clear that that's what they tried to capture in the game as well. It's not just about the topography and the landmarks; it's about experiencing a place and enjoying it. So I asked Renault, what was his favorite place in the game? 
it's true that there is one I, I love very much, which is Bryce Canyon, because uh, I feel uh, like having been there. Actually, when I, I made that trip and I, I spent some days in Bryce Canyon and when I recreated it with the team, mm. um, we really had the impression to be back there again. And uh, we were very proud of, of that success. But also, personally, another one that I like a lot to, to, to ride on with my bike, it's Canyonlands, where there are really that desert feeling of loneliness, but also you can meet a lot of people and have a lot of challenge with them in kind of super extreme topologies with the canyons, with the, all the, the arches and each uh, very famous place that you can encounter there. So when you're visiting these places, when you're playing the game and, and seeing them virtually, do you, for you, does it really bring back the similar sensations to when you were there in person? Yeah, actually, I'm very proud of what we succeeded in making in that game because each region that we, we, we have done... Um, are really similar and give really the same feeling. You know, we have an expression for that, which is the spirit of the place. And I think we finally succeeded in recreating uh, that feeling of the place, the spirit of the place, uh, where people who has already gone there will definitely recognize this place. And we have done everything for mm. that. And especially uh, each landmark has been precociously reproduced. Um, and uh, a lot of recognized places are uh, reproduced here. As for Patrick and the Watchdogs Legion team, their virtual version of London was also a way to explore the future, what London might actually look like in five, seven years' time, for better or for worse. We pretentiously tried to imagine ourselves getting into a time machine and going into London five, six years from now and seeing what that could be like. And I think a lot of that was paying attention to the kind of bell curve of the exponential growth of tech that we've seen in our lives personally, but also trying to predict by paying attention to what's developing today, you know, with autonomous cars, drone technology, um, even like playing with subdermal implants, you know, like uh, characters in our world, they all have this little device that's magnetically attached to their temples. And um, the optic bank is a device that plays with bone induction technology so that taps into your optical nerves and people can perceive mixed reality. So what was cool about that was um, as an operative, hacking the world and seeing all these UI pop-ups, that was sort of our way of justifying that idea. Mm -hmm. The question comes up, how does technology solve something in the world? And where can we shift our focus and making sure we represent these things? Um, so, you know, you do see a lot of cars driving around in our, in our simulation that don't have people driving them mm -hmm. because they're, they're, they're automated cars en route to pick somebody up, for example. Or Wi-Fi drones. Uh, there's another example of a solution where it has sort of a two-fold solution. It makes connectivity for the world uh, a lot better for everyone. However, you know, The hidden cost of that is uh, intelligence uh, entities now have uh, mobile CCTV cameras, essentially, at the heart of it. So sometimes hyperconnectivity can be a good and a bad thing at the same time. So we had mm. a lot of fun with these ideas and concepts. Visually, however, you know, we were also inspired by holographic technology. And I mean, it's something that we're all familiar with today for sure, but we still don't see a lot of it, to be honest. 
it still feels like it's a somewhat emerging technology. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we felt, uh, you know, here's our chance to really show the world some ideas and concepts that could predict what the future could hold in a not too far distant future for, for everyone to witness in their lifetime. Although virtual worlds are built with high-end tech accessed on machines, it's not just about the future. Virtual worlds are also about the here and now. Similar to the Notre Dame VR experience that allows you to visit a site that is currently under extensive repair, Patrick talks about how some games allow for a form of virtual tourism. You can visit the world and learn about these places, experience some aspects of it without having to leave your home. I think the thing that blows my mind about what Ubisoft as a game studio does really well is we're able to build and create these experiences with very famous, well-known cities and offer them to the world where maybe some folks who don't have the means to uh, physically uh, explore those worlds gets a chance to virtually explore those worlds. I worked on Assassin's Creed Unity in a co-dev team and building the French Revolution Paris was something that was interesting. And being able to visit Paris after that, I never got lost when I wandered through the city because I recognized it from all the, the experiences that we had developing the world and playing the game. So I think you could be a virtual tourist and experience places like, you know, uh, Chicago or, um, you know, the Bay Area and, of course, now London and the Watch Dogs brand. And I think that's something people really appreciate because not everyone can go there. Not everyone has a chance to visit these places for mm -hmm. whatever reason, you know. Um, they're too busy in their lives or they, they just, they live too far away from these places. And um, I love the fact that we can build an impression of these worlds and give them to people to experience, almost as a vir uh, virtual tourist, really. Um, the other aspect that I appreciate about what games have to offer is they can inspire ideas towards the future as well. I mean, we just witnessed William Shatner <laughs> go up in an Amazon craft and come down and just be blown away. And it's almost like he lived the art, but now life is imitating that art. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. um, being able to express ideas of where technology could go or the types of amazing devices and, uh, and narratives and fiction that we crafted up may inspire somebody, somebody who's going through and taking uh, physics or some kind of science, and they might be inspired by something that we develop in our fiction, and that may in fact become the catalyst to deliver something in real life. I think that kind of back and forth between art and the real world is something that I've always personally appreciated. So I feel fortunate to be able to be a part of that tradition in something as modern as developing uh, this kind of interactive media. Going back to Melanie and her team working on VR and AR experiences, what they're working on now is a new project scheduled for next year and based around the fire that destroyed the cathedral in 2019. In this VR experience, players will step into the shoes of a firefighter, tasked with saving the relics of Notre Dame and combating the flames that are threatening the historic building. We are working on another project in the team, quite different, uh, because this time it takes place in Notre Dame, in fire, and you're going to act as a firefighter with your teammates to save Notre Dame, and it will be an escape game. 
Wow. So it's going to be set uh, during the actual fire of Notre Dame and you'll be kind of combating the flames and, and I assume saving things from the building maybe? or Yes. The, the challenge will be to uh, immerse people in this catastrophe movie uh, that was the fire and make you feel the tension uh, that the firefighters were confronted with at the time. So your team is in charge of saving the sacred, the holy crown. The, the relics? Yeah, the holy relics. And uh, after this mission is completed, you're going to have to save the northern tower from the fire because that's where the uh, ultimate uh, epic battle against the fire happened. But it's also very beautiful when you mm -hmm. have the fire cascading from the, from the top inside the cathedral. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want them to feel the heroism and dedication of the teams who uh, had to fight against the fire. Yeah. And to feel proud because they saved Notre Dame at the end. So what is the value of these VR experiences? What can these virtual worlds offer players beyond what they can find in the real world? Well, first, not everyone can access some monuments and you have to think that some people cannot climb or, or travel mm -hmm. and so they can uh, access these monuments. You can make people travel in time and uh, take them to another period where the monument was completely different. And you can also do things that are impossible in real life or at least dangerous. You can, you can fly over maybe, uh, you can jump. You can experiment the monument in a way that could not be done in real life. Go to very high places. Then you can, of course, interact in it. And that makes you live a memorable moment in the monument. You will get more striking memory of your visit if you have been really acting, exploring, walking inside this monument. So for you, is that the value of virtual reality, the, the ability to interact with those places and that sense of immersion that comes through that interaction? Yes, that's one of the value, to the, be able to interact in it, to be there, but also to experiment it in ways that could not be done in real life. Real worlds, virtual worlds. After speaking with Mélanie, Patrick, and Renaud, I think what I like best is when one feeds into the other, when the real world becomes transposed into a virtual world that you can play in, and that might surprise you in ways that the real world doesn't always, because it's not scripted. Sometimes we can even find inspiration for the real world we live in, the one that's sometimes at risk, by looking at its virtual counterpart. This episode of Game Makers was produced and edited by the team at Engel. I'm Charles Adam Foster Samard from Ubisoft. Transcripts of our episodes are available on Ubisoft News. For more from Game Makers, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.